He's racing onto this ball here. The angle is there. Oh, what a finish, Jamie McLaren. Still Ellie Carpenter. It's Aaron Moy who places it beautifully in the top corner. All the way through for Sam Kerr! 10 out of 10 in 2019. While most football leagues around the world are postponed due to COVID-19, Adam Taggart is gearing up for the start of the new K-League season in Korea. After winning the K-League Golden Boot last year and making his return to the Socceroos setup, the 26-year-old striker is ready to take his game to the next level for club and country. In this episode of the FFA podcast, we sat down with Adam to talk about his football journey to date, making history for the Socceroos, and the exciting times ahead in his career. All right, Adam, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Firstly, how is everything going with you? Thanks for having me. Um, no, it's gone really well. Um, you know, in terms of the situation in Korea, it's improved a lot. Um, you know, life hasn't been as um, restricted as, as what it's been in Australia as of late. Um, so in terms of living and things like that, it's not been too bad. And um, we've trained sort of the whole way through. Um, but obviously, um, some really good news in, in terms of the league starting um, so a lot to look forward to, um, you know, in the coming coming weeks. And just to give us an idea, can you explain where you are currently? Yeah, my apartment in Suwon. Um, yeah, we normally train in the afternoons, we have the mornings off. So just chilling out in Suwon. And as you mentioned, the K-League has announced the league's going to be starting back on May 8th. Um, from your perspective, can you explain what has happened in Korea for the league to basically get to this point and be able to make this announcement? Well, um, you know, in terms of the actual virus situation, it never went into lockdown. Um, everyone's been able to sort of carry on um, nearly as, as they normally would. Um, there's been a couple of restrictions like gyms and saunas and things like that. But in terms of everyone's working, everyone's still... Um, out on the streets or, or going to restaurants and cafes and things like that. Um, uh, on the football side, like we've been able to train the whole way through. They, they scrapped friendly games for a little bit. Um, but in terms of just trying to keep it under control, we just get our temperature checked every day at the training ground. Uh, we fill our little form every day, just um, which checks up on how you're feeling. Um, but yeah, it's sort of steadily improved. I think from 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 a few different things. Um, one being the the testing has been um, really like available to everyone to use. Um, so everyone's been on top of that. And obviously, in general, a lot of people are wearing the masks and things like that um, anyway. Um, but you wouldn't sort of see anyone not wearing a mask really. So that probably helps the the situation and. It's pretty pretty amazing, really, in, in my opinion, how um, you know the country has just been able to get it under wraps without going into a complete lockdown or you know without completely shutting off flights and things like that. Um, I think it's just the it probably reflects the culture here a little bit in terms of you know they they get told what they should and shouldn't to uh, shouldn't do in in general. Um, stick to the sort of one point five meter distancing and, and stuff like that and and everyone follows it as best as they can and, and it seems to have helped obviously um, then you add in the, the testing which is probably the big part 
and they've they've got it under control. So I think now they're they're sort of into single digits like on daily new cases, um, and because of that, it, it it looks like that's been the the turning point to allow the league to start um, behind closed doors. Uh, we all went for another. This is my second time I've been tested for Corona. Um, when I first got back to Korea and and just had it the other day, the whole team, well, the whole league has, sorry. Every team's been tested and I think it's going to be a regular thing. You sort of take 24 hours to get the results or something like that. Um, so I think with that, they were able to, you know, give it the go ahead to, to start the league, yeah, on May 8th. And it's unbelievable. Well, it's, it's just fantastic that obviously Sue won the first game against John Book. So um, I'm sure it will be an exciting fixture um, not just for us, but but for everyone. Because I think it's the the first major or the first big league in Asia, and one of the first around the world to you know um, resume. It'll be a very special occasion, especially because the K League was one of the first leagues to completely halt. Um, but it sounds like during this time, has it been almost business as usual in terms of have has your whole team has been able to train together? You've been able to go to the training facility whenever you want yeah literally been training as usual um the only different thing that they only changed for maybe three or four week period was um friendly games even up until yeah like like i said only four weeks ago we were still having friendly games against um you know some of the lower league teams or some university teams and things like that um and it was only um, I think they just wanted to, to try and um, I think they had this date in mind for a little while, this May 8th, and I think they just wanted to um, cut off any sort of um, potential outbreak in terms of um, sporting events. Um, so they decided to scrap the friendlies, um, and I'm pretty sure that was purely just to, to go for this May 8th. Um, and then we've now got you know a two week period of, of having friendlies, which we did last weekend. Again, got another one tomorrow, um, and just to be yeah to be ready for that that May eighth schedule. But um, the whole time we've been training, using the gym, um, going in and out of the facility. Um, like I said, they just have a few protocols which they you know they check your temperature. Um, you fill out a little form every day just to pretty much see how you're feeling. Um, but I think everyone's like I said, in, in Korea, they're, they're pretty careful in general. Um, they make sure they wear their masks. They don't try and go into crowded places and things like that. And just by doing the simple things, they've, they've got it under control. And, and also, it's been able to allow us to just um, resume training and, and you know, be, being able to have the option to go in and out of the training ground whenever you want um, throughout the whole time. So, it's been, uh, yeah, it's, it's actually not been too bad over here in Korea. Yeah, it's quite quite a contrast to some other leagues around the world, say in France and the Netherlands, where they've completely shut down the league altogether for the rest of um for the rest of the season. How what are your feelings on that? Given um you know you're able to get back to football, but you know probably players that you know all around the world are actually having the opposite happen to them. Well, I mean, it's it's obviously I'm excited uh, for my own situation, but the. In terms of the the bigger picture, it's a pretty crazy thing, um, not only for sport but for everything. Um, but I think going back on on you know what Korea's been able to do, I think is you know is unbelievable. And 
probably something that a lot of other um, countries like that can can take from. Um, obviously, I'm not over in places like France and Netherlands and things like that, so it's hard to sort of comment. Um, but in terms of what's happened here, it just seems to be all the, the small and simple things that they've done right, um, and it seemed to get them back on track. So hopefully that, that gives a lot of those countries or, or anywhere around the world um, a little bit of hope and a bit of perspective that, you know, it's, it's definitely something that you can get under control if, if you do all the, the simple things right. Um, and, yeah, it, by the sounds of it, um, there's obviously been a lot of talk about the Korean League starting up again. Um, so hopefully that, um, you know, shines a bit of light on, on the situation and, yeah, hopefully the other countries can, can follow because as happy as I am to, to start my own league, I still enjoy watching the other leagues in Europe as well. So I think it'd be nice for everyone to, to make sure that we're, um, you know, uh, all getting back on track. And what's the feeling in Korea with the league starting amongst, you know, the players, the fans and, you know, even some of the Australians that you may know, people like Brandon O'Neill who recently made a move but hasn't had a chance to have a big taste of the football yet over there? Oh, look, it's like I said, it's an amazing feeling and, and I think it was a difficult period, not, not just for me, but for everyone. Um, the sort of, the, the unknown is probably the worst part where you don't really have a date in mind. It's not that you know it's going to be in six months or 12 months or, or next week or something like that. So I think that was a, a really difficult period for most people not knowing when the league was going to start not having something to work towards it's um that's probably the toughest thing and not only in football probably in, in everyone else's um working lives as well it's yeah the, the whole situation's just crazy not not having a um you know a, an end in sight or you know a, a solution in sight so it's um it's it's a great feeling to be to be a part of it um and I think for the other Aussies and things like that, they'll be, yeah, buzzing in it. And it's tough to say because obviously you don't want to see the A-League, um, you know, put, being put to a hold or, or not being able to finish and things like that. Um, but, you know, for us personally over here, it's something where we, we probably need to be grateful for that, you know, we're one of the first and, and only leagues um, resuming it at this moment. So, you know, it, it puts everything into a, into a lot of perspective and, um, for me personally, it's been a great move coming over here. So I don't like, I don't really believe in luck. Um, but you know, it's in this in this sort of situation, it just sort of it's been another um, positive to to come out of the the move that you know I'm able to resume football and yeah, I'm, I'm just grateful to be to be able to do that, knowing that a lot of my mates and and other leagues are uh, you know stuck in their houses at the moment. So you've already got back on the pitch, played a friendly match, scored a goal, having been the K-League's golden boot winner last year, you know, winning the cup, but having Suwon finish eighth. What are your what are your personal or goals or goals for the club going into this season? Oh, I think the the first one and probably the most obvious one is to um, definitely improve in the league. Uh, I think Suwon as a club, you know, eighth is is something that you know isn't really um something that's ever considered um going into a into a league season um so i think we've definitely got to improve on that and and that's just a a no-brainer really 
um, you know, top six, but competing in the in the top four, I think is something reasonable and something we need to do. There's obviously some good teams, um, but at the same time, still and Samsung is, you know, one of the big clubs here and we need to make sure that we perform like that every week. Um, in saying that, the Korean League's so tough and you just, you can, because there's so much on the line every week with promotion, relegation, um, teams getting big bonuses and, and things like that in certain um, times of the year, um, it's, it's, it's always a, a difficult game every week. Um, you play through some tough conditions and a lot of the time you're playing every three days as well. So there's, there's always so many factors um, contributing to the league and I think that's why I've loved it as well. It's always been a challenge. Um, even if you're doing well in one area, you might be scoring, scoring goals, but you might be um, knackered every single day or you might be struggling with something, but you've got to get up for the next game. There's, there's always challenges and things like that. Um, so I think... For me personally, it's just to try and be a bit more consistent um, after having last year. Um, well, what I mean is after last year being my first year here, you're sort of going into the unknown. You're still getting used to it. Um, but now I've got a full season under my belt here. Um, I think this year I just want to look at being a bit more consistent. Um, I probably don't like to put a number on the amount of goals you want to score. Um, I just, you know, I don't think that's necessary and definitely not something you want to tell other people. <laughs> but um, I think in general, a bit more consistency, sticking to, to good habits um, on a daily basis. And I think the rest sort of follows after that. Um, but after having the experience last year, um, I think those two things for me uh, in a team perspective to, to finish a lot higher up. Like I said, top six, absolute minimum, but I think top four is, is a reasonable um, you know, plan for us to, to to sort of go for and on an individual basis. Should it be a bit, bit more consistent um, on a week-to-week basis with my performances? When you moved over to Korea, what was the toughest thing about transitioning over there? Oh, it's... There's so many different small challenges, um, but I think I was in a, in a good frame of mind to come over here. Um, I was ready for a new challenge and... Um, I wanted to try and go to the next level and, and I felt like this was a good step up. Um, obviously, the, the probably the toughest and, and the most obvious one is the, is the language barrier. Um, it's before you come here, that's something that um, people had told me, mates that had played here or, or lived in a country similar to this. Um, but... Until you're actually here, it's so hard to understand like the little things about just going to a restaurant or in training if, if something's been said to you. We obviously have a translator and, and the translator I had was um, a really good mate of mine. Um, but it's on a, on a day-to-day basis, it is very tough and, and the... And the um, the the lack of speed in terms of the translations are... Uh, um, probably something that's really difficult because in a game you don't have time to to you know wait 30 seconds for it to be translated to you or, or something like that. So that was really tough. But I started learning the language um, at the start of last year, picked up sort of all the basic things. So I was able to communicate with a lot of the players. Um, I know how to say a lot of things in restaurants and things like that. So they can at least get a pretty good idea of what I want. It's... <laughs> 
90% of the time it's something completely different, but <laughs> as time goes on, you, you get a little bit better in, in terms of explaining what you need and what you want. Um, the culture here is completely different. You've got to bow at everyone all the time and, um, you know, age is a massive thing here. So they're all, they're probably all, all small things that you sort of get used to after a while. Um, but at the same time, you're living in a foreign country by yourself uh, with no one speaking your language. Sometimes you go through days without saying a, a word in English or something like that. Um, but so at, at the same time, it can be nice because maybe, um, you know, you don't, you don't realise how much blabber you're, you're talking um, when you're back in Australia and things like that. So there's always positives to take from, from a lot of the challenges that came about um, last year. And, and obviously they're still happening now, but it's just something I'm more used to now and I know how to get by. But, you know, all in all, all of the challenges and the differences, I think, were, were enjoyable ones to, to take on. And in terms of communication on the pitch, like you said, are you knowing a limited amount of Korean? Does that mean just your messages to your teammates are very succinct and, you know, using just a few different words? Yeah. I mean, in terms of when we've got the ball and things like that, just things like turn um, or faster and, and things like that, um, really easy words that, uh, you know, so helpful to everyone. Uh, and if they can say it to me, I also understand. So it's just, yeah, really simple one word things um, that, you know, make a big difference in the, in the situation because in a game, you, you only, you've only got time to say one word before the situation's already carried out anyway. So the basics are the, are the most important thing. And, and once you sort of grasp those words and, and the concept of, of what they mean, it's, it's really easy to, to get by and, and definitely helps your football as well because when you're just hearing words and you have no idea or you haven't made the effort to, to try and work out what they all mean, then it's just going to affect your football as well. So, you know, on a on a personal point of view, like you, you want to be performing well on the weekend regardless. So, you know, those little things can, can help you a lot. In terms of the Socceroos and coming back into the team after um, an absence of a number of years, how important do you feel that your form that you've had and you know had in the A League and then coming over to Korea has been in you being recalled to the team? Oh, look, the the Socceroos was was like a more of a long term goal for me for a long time. Um, after I came back to the A League um, from Fulham, it was something that I probably expected would would take a while. Um, hadn't played for a couple of years, so I think the whole. Um, sort of three or four years leading up to the, I think it was three years maybe, leading up to the my first Socceroos game in a long time was was just a big build-up and something I'd been working towards for a long time. Um, and I think when I got called up, it was, it was the right time because I think that I'd found myself a good routine. I'd found what works for me, what doesn't, uh, in terms of staying on the, on the pitch. Um, and... I think it was just a massive boost for me personally and, and definitely gave me a lot of motivation again after being involved um, because that's obviously where I wanted to stay. Uh, it's probably where I wanted to be. It's where I still want to be a part of, um, you know, for a long time or well, as long as I can. Um, I think sometimes when you get little tastes of, of being involved, especially in that South Korea game, um, being the country that I'm playing in and having such a great atmosphere and things like that, it was just... Um, 
yeah, it was a, it was a really nice feeling to know that you know a lot of hard work and and a lot of sacrifice um, you know had gone to the cause that that you wanted it to in the first place. So um, I'll always be grateful and, and appreciative of of that moment and and that short period of time that I had in camp, um, especially to Arnie and all the coaching staff because it was just unbelievable to be back involved and um, yeah, I just think. When you when you're sort of working towards something for a long time and then you, you finally get a taste of it, it's it's an amazing feeling. So it's a massive buzz, and yeah, I, I sort of won't forget that game. Although I think only you know for the short amount of time that I played, it was you know amazing experience. So you played against Korea, and then you kicked on and re- played against Kuwait in the first World Cup qualifier. I think you're on the bench against Nepal, and then played against Chinese Taipei and scored your your first Socceroos goal. In six years maybe just in your own words are you able to take just like a minute to basically just talk through that goal and what the feeling was like to score it yeah look it was, it was pretty early on and and obviously after not scoring for a you know like you said six years or something like that um i felt as though it was an opportunity to, to get on the score sheet and when ryan um got the ball on on the right he had a bit of time um I think my defender started moving on to someone else and started marking. So I saw I was free. Um, so I started waving my hand up in the air because I saw Ryan put his head up um, and he's whipped in an unbelievable cross. And I could see the keeper um, coming in the in the left side of my eye. And I sort of knew that by going for it, I'm you know, putting myself in a, in a great position to get, to get concussed here. But I thought, oh, I'm, I'm not pulling out of this even if I get concussed. Once I score, it doesn't matter. Um, so I just sort of threw my threw my body at it. Um, it looked like the keeper maybe pulled out a little bit or was just a little bit late. Um, and it's gone in um, unscathed. So worked out really great and was an amazing feeling, like I said, for such a long time to, to be out of it. Um, I wasn't going to let that opportunity slip and, and I made sure I got my noggin on the end of it. You went on to score a second goal against Chinese Taipei. And funnily enough, I was looking back at some of your first Socceroos games, just at the stats. It looks like I think maybe the second or third game you played was also against Chinese Taipei. And you scored two in like an 8 0 win. Fast forward however many years, and it's two in a 7 1 win. But we'll move on to the Jordan game. The first time Australia had beaten Jordan away. So do you want to do a similar thing? Do you want to take a minute to. Talk through that goal that you scored and the feeling of it. Yeah, I think going into that game, we all knew it was a it was a big one um, with the history that that the Socceroos had had against Jordan um, in Jordan. Uh, it's probably the toughest team in our group. Um, we went there and and um, you could already feel in the warm up that it was going to be a um, a tough match, a bit of a hostile atmosphere and. And at the same time, that, that's the sort of atmosphere you want to play in. So I think everyone had a pretty good buzz about it. Um, they're a nation that, you know, thrives on fighting and, and really trying to challenge all, all oppositions, especially when you're in their home. Um, but we worked on a couple of things during the week and, and one of the major um, points was the, the keeper going down early. Um, so we'd gone over that in the videos and then tried to um, work on it on the training ground. Um, so it was sort of already in the back of my mind. Um, you know, Rennie and Arnie had, had already set that situation up a um, hundred times before we actually did it. Um, 
so when I saw Jackson on the ball, obviously a great pass for the ball and a good mate, my roomie. So I knew he'd be able to see me. Um, he's played an unbelievable ball in behind uh, where I've just sort of run across the defender and I could see the keeper coming out. So it was already, it was you know, my mind was already made up. The decision was made for me already that week. Um, I just tried to get a little bit of lift over it um, to make sure that there was enough to go over a keeper that was already on the ground. Um, and sort of as I've hit it, I felt it was going in already and, and looked up and it was in the back of the net. So um, I thought it was a fantastic moment to, to make sure that we were ahead early on in the game, especially against a tough side like that. You know, to get an early goal, I think, gave us a lot of confidence for the rest of the game. And I think after that, it was just important to, to hold on and, and try and keep possession. And, and in the end, you know, we've won 1-0. And I think it's a, you know, a fantastic result for us to get away from home. Um, in a country like that, so couldn't have been happier to to get it off Jacko. Looking back at those four World Cup qualifiers we've played so far, what do you think the Socceroos group has has learned over the course of those games? Oh, look, at, we've obviously dominated majority of the games. The Jordan was a tough side, uh, tough game, and I thought they put in a good performances, uh, a good performance. But I think. Um, when you look at it before the game, to, to get a 1-0 win there, I think is fantastic. And, you know, we've now got the opportunity to play them at our home. Um, so, look, I think they're obviously our, our toughest opponent, but the start that we've had gives us a lot of confidence and, and puts us in a great position going forward. Um, I think we've still learnt that even against the teams, you know, Q8 and Chinese Taipei, um, although we've, we've completely dominated, they still have something to give um, and it's important to, to make sure that we're, we're concentrated um, uh, especially through, throughout the whole game because I think when you're dominating so um, viciously like we were it's, it's easy to, to have a lapse of, of a you know concentration loss or, or something like that um, but I think in general we just need to keep doing what we're doing we're obviously um, a fairly new bunch together a fairly young side um, and to come away with all of those results, I think, you know, it's a massive positive. There's still obviously a lot that we can learn and, and a lot that we can improve on. Um, but I think if you look at the, the past, especially the results, they're all amazing results and, and a lot that we, we can take from. So as long as we keep pushing and, and trying to get better as a, as a team, um, I think then, you know, we'll be in, in a great position going forward. I might take you back to some of your earlier soccer memories. Uh, you debuted late 2012, eight years ago, against Hong Kong. Do you remember that that debut? Yeah, no, I remember it. And I, um, I remember the stadium. I think we played there before in, in one of the younger Aussie teams as well, maybe the under-20s or something like that. Um, but I remember even getting the call um, to be um, in that Socceroos camp um, I think it was Gary Moretti at the time gave me a call to say that you're in the squad and I thought it was a joke I thought it was one of the boys playing a prank on me um, <laughs> so I didn't believe him I didn't want to start giving into it and you know saying thank you blah 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 because <laughs> I thought it was going to you know be the boys on the other end and you'd rock up the training the next day and, and you've been done so I kept saying to him look mate I know this is one of the boys you, <laughs> you've not done me here <laughs> And he said, no, look, I'm, 
I'm going to send you the email with everything just to um, to prove that you know you are selected. And I was saying, all right, you know, whatever, send me the email. <laughs> and then maybe like ten minutes later, I got the email and I realised, wow, if someone's trying to trick me here, they've gone to a lot of effort to write up a full email and, and make up a, a fake account and all this. So, you know, I started coming around to it and and yeah, I think that sort of summed it up. Like I just didn't believe that. Um, you know, I was a part of the, although it was an East Asian Cup and, and a lot of the main players weren't there, um, it was still fantastic to be there at such a young age and to gain that experience. So um, I remember that first game coming off the bench against Hong Kong. Um, a lot of the older boys there, are, you know, were players that I look up to as well. Um, so it was just great to be a part of it. And, and yeah, to, to make my debut in a nice little game like that was, was really good to, to sort of kick off my international career. So you had opportunity to play in several more soccer matches over the next couple of years and you were called up for the 2014 World Cup. Were you expecting to be called up and do you remember, you know, your memories of being called up and how it happened? Yeah, no, I remember it pretty clearly. Um, obviously, it was a decent year at Newcastle. Um, so there was a lot of talk about being involved. Um, in, in the in the extended squad, obviously, uh, which was great. Like the whole lead up to it, there was just so many things to take from it. From you know a lot of big players to just the way that the soccer is set up, runs and in terms of leading up to a World Cup and, and the preparation. So I think just the whole experience before the selection was this, was something that you know I really didn't take for granted and something I appreciated a lot. Um, but because Newcastle, we didn't make the finals or anything like that. Our season finished pretty early. So I think I was one of the first people to start going into camp and we we're doing like a, I think it was like a Monday to Friday training thing. I think and we we're sort of moving around, might have been in Adelaide for a bit, maybe Sydney sometimes. And you just sort of have the weekend off um, whilst the other players and, and other leagues in Europe were still going um, or the final series in Australia. And sort of as the preparations um, went on and, and it got to um, the day that the extended squad was, was getting cut down to the squad of 23. I think it was meant to be on my birthday uh, on June the 2nd. Um, and I sort of had the feeling I would probably, um, you know, would be in the, the few players that, that weren't going to carry on or weren't going to get selected in that 23-man squad. And... Um, you know, had people like Josh Kennedy there and, and people who have been amazing for the Socceroos for so many years. So I sort of didn't expect to be involved, but I was, you know, already so happy to have to have gained that experience. Um, and I think it was that night when we sort of knew um, that we were going to find out whether we were going or not. And um, I got a message from one of the other boys when I was in my room asking, you know, if I'd sort of found out if, if I was um, going home the next day or, or whatever it was and hadn't heard anything and I wasn't going to sleep because I was waiting for a knock on my door for someone, you know, to, to say that they were letting me know or, or whatever. So I stayed up quite late that night and every hour that ticked by, I was thinking, wow, they're leaving it a bit late. You know what I mean? I might have a flight in the morning. <laughs> and then I think it got after midnight and I was just sort of texting my mum back and forth, keeping her updated. Um, and I said, well, I'm just going to have to go to sleep. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm knackered now. So I went to sleep and then 
in the morning, there was a couple of the boys, um, you know, coming into breakfast um, with their suitcases and things like that. And that's when I realised that I might have been part of the 23-man squad or, the, or someone's bloody forgot to tell me <laughs> and I'm sitting there like an idiot. <laughs> so um, that was sort of the moment when I, you know, sort of realised 100% um, that I'd made the, the selection and was unbelievable. I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, from, from not even expecting to be in the 23 to then actually going on and, and playing against the Netherlands and Spain, what were those experiences like and what are, what are your memories from them? Yeah, I remember the even the first game against Chile, um, such a, probably the best atmosphere I've, I've ever seen and, and been a part of. Um, so I think just being able to watch that game was was crazy. Um, the second game against Netherlands, I remember warming up when Timmy scored that goal uh, with you know with the with the group of subs. Um, and just thinking like you know where's that come from? Wow, that was arguably one of the best goals you know that's ever been scored for Australia, especially in that moment. Um, such a big name player, big game player. Sorry, um, was yeah. I, you can't even put it into words. I think everyone watching it, even on TV, would have said the same thing. Um, and then to go on, I think it was only like the last ten minutes. Um, we were uh, down three two at the time. I think it was, or 2-1, I can't remember. And, um, yeah, just obviously had it in the back of my mind. It would be great to, to go on and try and nick a goal. Didn't happen. Um, but the experience is unbelievable. You know, to play at a World Cup um, in front of an atmosphere like that was was just hectic. Um, going into that final game against Spain, um, Timmy was suspended, I think. He had two yellows, maybe, or he picked up an injury but couldn't play on that last on that final game. Um, and again, I didn't think I'd, I'd be starting or, or something like that. I thought, you know, someone else might have played as a number nine and yeah, to be selected to, to play in that team was, was great. Um, I look back on that game and had a bit of a beast really, um, but it was just a great experience and, and it, was a, it was a reminder. I think before the game, being so young and, and having not much experience in football in general, you know, in terms of internationally or playing overseas and things like that, you sort of maybe show a bit too much respect to, to players with big names that you're coming up against. And although I had a stinker in that first half, I think it was afterwards I realised that there's not massive differences between a lot of those players. You know, when, when you put the best players in... In Europe, there's there's maybe a big difference, but if you if you start just talking about players in general in Europe, I think there's not a big difference, and it's just small differences, and all of those small differences can be levelled with um, you know hard work and and good daily habits and things like that. So I think that was one of the the biggest and best things I took from that World Cup was that although I didn't perform well, I also realised that there's not much difference between being um, an okay player and being a good player uh, and a good player who can play in, in a good league in Europe. So <clears throat> I just think there was a, there was a lot to take from, from that whole experience and, and especially that, that last game against Spain. And after that World Cup, in terms of internationals, you went through a bit of a purple patch and obviously weren't um, playing too much for Socceroos and, until recently. At that point, did you kind of think... Did you feel like you were going to be involved with soccer is more 
or you know you can't look back now and think about the things that you've done between now and then that have kind of got you back in there yeah i think um the move to fulham for obvious reasons um was pretty much injured for you know the best part of 18 months it might have been only a couple of month period when when i was fit um and being a bit young and naive you don't really understand your body you don't know exactly how you can get it right and as, as easy as, as it is for me to say, it would have been nice to have a bit more guidance whilst I was over there in terms of medical staff and, and things like that. You know, I think my attitude now is that I take responsibility for myself. Um, if I feel like something's not working, then I go and look for it um, and make sure I get the help that I need. Um, but at the time, like I said, being a bit young and naive, um, you don't really understand that, that side of things. And, and I couldn't get my body right for, yeah, the, the most part of that 18 month period. Um, so deciding to come back to the A-League, I think it was to sort of start again, um, try and get my body right and, and hoping that, you know, by doing that at one stage, there might be an opportunity to get back in the Socceroos. Um, it didn't happen whilst I was at Perth. Again, sort of hampered by injuries the next couple of years, probably all to do with that same original issue. Um, but then I think, moving to Brisbane was um, the sort of start of a of a long-term goal of getting back to the Socceroos after starting to understand my body a little bit more. Um, wanted to work with Jonah Luisi, who you know, had a great career with the Socceroos, another striker, um, and that was a, the decision behind it, really. I thought by working with someone who's, um, you know, played for the Socceroos for such a long time and has had a great career, has a lot of knowledge... Um, also has a bit of knowledge in terms of injuries and and things like that. Um, thought that was another stepping stone to get back into the Socceroos. Um, didn't happen there, but not that I necessarily expected it to either. I thought it was a it was yeah something that I wanted to work on long term. Um, had a lot of challenges at Brisbane in terms of the way that we performed as a team that year, and and unfortunately, you know, John Alosi wasn't there for that long either. Um, but as tough as that period was, it was the start of, um, you know, me moving over here and, and the start of getting back into the Socceroos, in, in my opinion. And I think the move here, you know, everything just fell into place exactly how I'd hoped it would. Um, but I think it's not because of luck, you know what I mean? I think it was all a big build-up. There was a lot of things I'd learned about myself over the last couple of years. I got my body right. Um was really motivated and just um, keen to enjoy my football. I think the last couple of years, I probably put a lot of pressure on, on you know, trying to trying to reach something that that you know didn't have all the step, uh, didn't have the the base that I needed. Um, and I think Brisbane was the start of that base. And and after I'd sort of got that right, it was it was just a move in in Sue One that that really helped me. Everything suited me. Um, I was enjoying my football. I wasn't stressed about anything. I wasn't trying to uh, or expecting to, to be anywhere that, that I wasn't already. Um, I think just going back to a lot of the basics and getting back into a, into a nice routine was, was what helped me. And when you enjoy your football, you always seem to play better. And, and I was happy, especially at the start of the year when I came here. Um, really appreciated the fans, the the whole football club. It's it's enjoyable to walk into the training ground every day and to play in tough games that, that have things on the line um, where people are getting promoted and relegated and and um, 
yeah, I think the knowing how challenging and tough it was was also really re- rewarding because whenever you did well, you knew it wasn't just it wasn't easy or, or something like that. And I think those things really helped me just to get back into the Socceroos and and it sort of all just fell into place exactly how I'd hoped it would really. In terms of Korean football and your team, um, what do you think it is about your team in Korean football that's you know allowed you to thrive and get into this great goal scoring form? I think it's quite, it's hard to say. Like I get asked that question all the time, and and I don't really know. Like I know the differences between Korean football and Australian football, but I don't know necessarily why I've been able to to do well here. But I think similar to to what I was touching on before was that you know I just went back to try and to try and to enjoy my football and, and just have fun. You know, I came here with not some massive expectation of it being the be all and end all, but but just coming over here for the right experience to get into a good um, routine um, and just enjoy football. And I think whilst I was doing that, you know, everything was just falling into place. Games were, you know, really joyful. Um, I enjoyed going into training. It was really tough. Um, and I think because of that, it just allowed me to, to have a good frame of mind going into every game. And, and that's probably the only thing that I can think of or that's the only thing that I believe has, has really helped and, and suited me over here. And at what points in your career was that mentality a bit different? Was that kind of in early stages? Yeah, I think probably after, the, uh, after my Fulham move and I moved back to Perth, I probably put a lot of... Uh, expectation to be the way I was playing or to be performing at such a regular basis um, the same as what I was at Newcastle which I think it's just unrealistic after such a a long time off Um, so I was probably trying to skip um, important steps um, or trying to go straight back and and putting a lot of pressure on being back to the the player that I was at Newcastle And, and I think after Perth, I sort of just not forgot about it, but just moved on from that. That you know, there's I'm I'm probably never going to perform the same way. I can still perform better than that, you know. But it, you're a completely different player after you get injured and, and things like that. And I think just trying to understand what I was at that um, moment in time, where my body was at, um, the age that I was, and what I wanted to achieve, it, it became a lot easier to just enjoying my football and, and became a lot easier to just focus on, on things on a, on a, you know, day to day and week to week basis. And when you went over to Fulham, what was your attitude? Were you also just, you know, gunning for as much as you could? Um, it, it's probably a tough one because I think when I first got there, I was in a great frame of mind, really motivated I'm happy at where I was, obviously, after being at a World Cup and, and with the national team and things like that. Um, but as I as the injury seemed to get worse and I had problem after problem after problem, um, it was definitely starting to get a little bit frustrating. And again, I probably didn't try to skip steps, but I tried to rush myself back um, when I wasn't ready physically. Um, and because of that, just kept getting injured. And, and I think... Yeah, the, the pressure that I was putting on myself trying to get back so quickly or, or even when I was back to trying to get back to the level that I was at um, so quickly was something that probably hampered my progress yeah, physically and um, mentally at that stage. But 
like I said, when you're young and, and you don't have too much guidance, it's, it's easy to just do those sorts of things because you don't know what's, what's going to work and what's not going to work. You sort of haven't experienced much yet. So I think, um, yeah, those, those, that 18 month there was, was just easy to get caught in a vicious circle of trying to rush back, then getting injured because of that, then trying to rush back again and then getting injured because of the same reason. And yeah, I think that vicious circle was something that really, um, hampered any sort of progress um in in any way possible there is getting back to europe something that you still want to do one day well i think um it doesn't necessarily have to be in europe but i'm still at that age where like i want to see how far i can go um whether that's in asia or, or in europe um there's always somewhere that you can go that's that's a you know step up from from where you are at the moment and and look that's still on my mind of course um but if it's meant to be then it's meant to be um i think as long as you focus on the right things then you know if if there is um the next step that's that's um going to suit me or or going to suit everyone um involved in in me going then then you know it's going to happen but i definitely want to see how far i can go and and want to see um, you know, what level I can get to in, in the short amount of time left in, in a football career. Might wind it back a little bit and talk about um, some of your earliest memories of football. Yeah, what, what are your earliest memories of football? How, do you, how did you get into it as a kid? Um, my dad's just football mad, um, born in Glasgow, Scotland. So as most of them are there. Um, but it wasn't really something that was pushed on me or, or anything like that. I think I just genuinely loved playing football. Um, it was just something that you'd do every day. I had an older brother, played in his teams, uh, football teams growing up. Um, even when he's in the under sevens, you know, and I'm only four or five or, or whatever it is. Um, and you've still got some photos of that and, and things like that. Um, but just kicking the ball in the backyard breaking windows and getting in trouble for it um things like that um just all of the really simple and, and basic things that you know gives every kid so much joy really um and just carried that on through primary school recess and lunch you're running around sweating in your school uniform all day and things like that um it was a yeah i think it's one of the, the best times for any footballer they probably always look back at when they were a kid and and things like that and they're always you know you, you can't really remember too much but you just you, you remember how you felt and and yeah you're on top of the world kicking a ball around do you remember which players or teams you might have looked up to um when i was a kid there was like a few forwards obviously thierry Henry was someone had his dvd at least 240 goals or whatever um but there's when you're a kid, you just, you love everyone. Like I, I used to love Perth glory. So a lot of people like Bobby Despotowski and Damien Mori, obviously did great for the soccerers as well. Um, and apart from my dad supporting Celtic, it was just a no brainer that we, we used to go to the, the Perth glory games. And it's the only team that I could say I, I really loved, um, especially as a kid because it was such a buzz, you know, it was a, it was a club that used to get a you know, good crowd and, um, yeah, we used to go every week and, and that's, that's also one of my earliest football, uh, footballing memories. Um, 
was going to that um, that stadium where you you know you got the wooden benches along the whole uh, around the whole stadium. Um, I used to love doing that. A couple of my mates used to go as well. Um, so that was sort of like a, a weekly or fortnightly thing that I'd, I'd do with my dad. Do you remember the first Socceroos game you either went to or saw on TV? Oh, it's a tough one. Like, I obviously remember watching that 2006, is it? 2006 World Cup? Uh, the World Cup or the playoff? The Oh, sorry, the playoff to get in there. Yeah, the Uruguay uh, game, 05. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was obviously a massive one that I think everyone remembers a part of. I just watched it on TV. Um, but I'd never been to a Socceroos game until um, I was involved in one. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, but I think as a kid, you just watch all the football that you can get and you probably don't really understand too much of what's going on. I think it was that um, qualifying um, campaign in that 05, like you said, was the first time you actually sort of realised what was going on and understood um, how big it is just because of the hype around it and, and also what happened in the end. Um, people still talk about it now. It was unbelievable. So I think up until then, it's difficult to understand um, exactly what's going on. Um, and I think it was probably that qualifying campaign that you, you, know, that you started to understand everything and, and really started to see the, the buzz and the hype around it. Was there kind of a moment growing up or, you know, a period of time where you either realised that you had something a little special or you kind of had a bit of a breakthrough? Um, I think when I was maybe around 15, just before I went to the AIS, I think I started to, to question how, how you can become a... I think up until then I was set on that I was going to be a professional footballer uh, no matter what and you know there was nothing that was going to stop me really and I think once I got to that age of 15 um, you, I started to realise that there wasn't too many pathways that you can go down um, to be a professional footballer in Australia um, because I think it was only just after that that they'd made the youth league um, and unless you were playing for you know the Perth Glory senior team or the AAS, there wasn't really much of a pathway. So I think that was the first time I started to realise it, it might be a little bit more difficult. But in that same year, like I said, the youth league started, I ended up going to the AAS anyway. And then it sort of all kicked off from there where I was pretty certain and confident that, you know, I was going to I was gonna make something of, of this situation, going to make something of the pathway that's, that's just uh, made it more easier. Or, or more available to be a footballer. And, and I think that was probably around the age or the moment where I realised it's definitely possible. Um, and it was after probably a short period of, of sort of questioning if there was a pathway to, to be a footballer. So, and then you were picked up by Glory, is that right? Yeah, straight after I just went back to Glory. And what was that feeling like? Oh, that was amazing because, like I'd said, I'd, I'd grown up going toward the Glory Games on the weekend with my dad, um, and it was the only team or, or thing that that I had a you know a special feeling about. Um, I know everyone say they support whatever team in Europe and, and stuff like that, and like I said, apart from Celtic, which my dad supported, it was difficult for me to just make one up. Um, so whenever people used to ask me a support, I'd just say Glory. Um, so 
I think me going to the AIS, um, I didn't realise what an impact it would have on me as a footballer, but I think my reason for going there was to try and sign for Perth Glory after it. So to get given the opportunity um, was obviously a no-brainer and, and I jumped at it straight away and, and it ended up fantastic sort of six months when I first went back there, played my first game, scored on my debut. Um, and being 17 years old, um, had my family in the stands and stuff like that. And it's probably not something you understand until you get older and you're playing in stadiums with no one that you know every week. Um, and, and you start to realise those sort of moments are really special, especially um, being so young. So what would your advice be if you could speak to your 17-year-old self? It's a tough one because um, I think I took everything on board the way um, that I look back and realised I should have. Um, but going to the AIS and stuff like that, I probably didn't realise how much of an impact it would have on me until afterwards. And luckily, I had someone like Gary Van Egmond there and Jan Schlein, two fantastic coaches and two coaches who, you know, really push you as an individual. Um, and I think by having those sorts of people around, it didn't matter what you thought at the time because, like I say, now I look back and I realise that I did do all the things that um, I hoped that I would have done, but it was probably because of those coaches. Um, if you don't have someone that's um, going to push you and and you don't have people that are going to get on top of you if you're not doing the right thing, then that's when you can probably let... You can start to see it um, slip away from you and, and things like that. So I think I was just lucky in, in terms of the, the people who I had in that environment at the time. Uh, mate, that's awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the FFA podcast with Socceroo Adam Taggart. Don't miss out on more great stories from the Socceroos, Westfield Matildas and the Australian football community. You can listen to them all at ffa.com.au.